Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with writer, director and producer Robert Valentine. We talk about his work on audio drama for Big Finish and various other companies and working with Doctor Who, as well as his perfect writing day and the effect that the pandemic has had on the industry. You can find Robert online at robertvalentine.net and you can learn more about the projects I'm working on at robertlanemusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. It would be fantastic if you could rate, review and subscribe to the podcast as doing that helps more people to discover it in the future. It would also be lovely if you could share it on social media and just let anyone who you think would be interested know about the podcast. Thank you. Okay, here's my conversation with Robert Valentine. Hi Rob, how are you? I'm very, very well, thanks, Robert. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm great, thank you very much. Where in the world are you? Where am I talking to you from? I am currently in Leafy, Surrey, um, about 20 minutes due west of Heathrow Airport, give or take. That's kind of, so that's that's my neck of the woods, sort of um, junction 13 of the M25 is kind <laughs> of my, that's my that's my way home, basically. <laughs> yeah. And is that a noisy place to be for someone who's in working in the world of audio? Twenty minutes from Heathrow, is it not? Well, for, fortunately, um, I I mostly write and um, tell and, and uh, get other people to do the recording, so uh, it's usually it's not a problem. Yeah, you, you might occasionally hear a slight sort of metronomic tapping, and that's my radiator, which is quite <laughs> a, an old sort of Victorian job. So uh, I do apologise for that. <laughs> that's no it, problem. Uh, if it causes any audio issues. <laughs> and are you in a writing kind of period at the moment or is, is all the time a writing period for you? It, uh, all the time is a writing period for me. I've actually had a, a lovely two, three days between assignments um, where you know I've got stuff lined up, but I haven't had to start on it now. And that's just ended this afternoon. I've just had a, a launch meeting on a thing. So I've actually spent the last couple of days working on a spec script of mine, um, which I haven't, I've been, I'm very, very fortunate. I've been writing solidly for other people for, you know, over two years. Um, but the problem I found, and this is a real, you know, fortunate writer's gripe. I haven't had the time to work on my spec stuff. Um, but the last couple of days I've, um, I've had a draft two of a, of a biopic screenplay kind of in, in a drawer for two years. And, um, and seriously, uh, just a few hours work is all that was required on it to get it to the next stage i need it to be at it's just you know it's two hours work i haven't had the headspace for for two years which is um kind of the, the part of the nature of of this of, uh, of, of writing great and you said it's a screenplay rather than an audio thing then. yes yeah i mean all the work i do at the moment it's all radio or podcast drama um but it's simply that's the medium i've kind of found myself working in and it's also just a, a medium that uh in terms of, um, I mean, we're all still living through a pandemic. Um, some of us aren't, which I find very, very odd. But you know, as far as I can tell, it's it's still out there and raging. Um, but um, I've been, I've, yeah, I've been very fortunate professionally in that the medium I do work in, uh, audio drama, has been pretty COVID-proof essentially because um, it wasn't long before producers realised 
how much of what we do can be done remotely with programs like CleanFeed. Um, so, you know, you, you actors, you know, if they don't have home studios, they have, um, they've just cobbled them together with duvets in the, in the, in the hole under the stairs and stuff like that. And, um, so from a writing point of view, um, I've, I've been working solidly, uh, throughout, um, yeah, I, I, I did a, a tally around the time I was doing my taxes and, um, I've been writing about 11 hours of produced drama a year for the last three years, give or take. So before going to the pandemic, but, um, it hasn't stopped. Um, and that's, that, that it's just, um, it's just a quirk of, you know, th- this one part of show business doesn't require you thanks to the miracle of technology to, uh, see other people. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I found myself. Great. And a couple of things from that then I find interesting as, a, as an actor and a musician, there's so much where you're having to learn all the skills to do it yourself, whether it's recording at home, doing a show reel from home. So it's interesting there talking about the, the, the audio drama side of things and actors and producers and everybody else working from home. Do you think that will continue even once restrictions are a bit easier and people can come into studios? Is it as if there's a there's a great urge to life just to go back to how it was before, or have people learnt that actually there's advantages to people not having to gather together to do things? Um, it's a little bit of both. We, we won't go back to absolutely the way things were before the pandemic. I mean, even uh, October just gone, when conditions were easing, more and more people were going back into the studio, yeah. um, and a lot of them uh, with one company were with all got COVID at the same time, and that that really. Yeah. That um, that made me turn down some invitations to sit in on stuff. So um, while people are going back into the studio, and it's um, it, technically I, I, a lot of the time you can't tell when people home record. If the technology is good, which it is, um, actors are that damn talented that um, you know it, it doesn't feel the same subjectively for them. But I think with the finished product, it's as good. Um, but it's just a it's just a far lonelier life. So I think partly not in terms of the end product, but just for the the experience um, of doing, you know, your art. It's so much nicer doing it with people in person um, as a communal activity. Because um, that's the thing. Although um, doing what I do in this this particular sector can be done remotely, um, it's not why any of us. We didn't. We didn't all get into it to stay at home in our pajamas and not see each other. Yeah, I mean that's fun for a period of time. Um, but even even the most reclusive of us eventually do start craving uh, to actually be hang out with your colleagues and actually do some living as well, and uh, and also get you know, have, you know when when lunch is thrown on, you know, all that stuff, um, which we, we are all currently missing out on. Oh, absolutely. The lunch provided by whichever production company is. I suppose it doesn't extend to an Uber, does it, for everybody who's just been at home, Uber takeaway. Production companies don't do that. Yeah, no, it's it wouldn't get, well, It's probably a terrible habit to get into because <laughs> I'd I take them up on it, I think. But, yes, uh, get paid in Uber. Mentioning <laughs> the technology then, it's interesting because some people I've spoken to in their sectors, the technology has been pushed forward because of the pandemic or because of people being um, having to push it forward. For it to, there were certain things that I found, certainly with, with sort of live stream and music and stuff, where the technology was almost there in March 2020, but it had quite yeah. frustrating limitations that then very clever people seem to have pushed forward. So in this line of work, is that the case or was the stuff already there ready to go? 
no it's it was the case in uh in with uh audio drummer as well and it was because with big finish um the i actually a script i'd written a tom baker doc two story uh, it was called shadow of the sun and it wasn't it was meant to be released a few years from now but it was mm. the it was the the first production they did as a remote recording and they didn't know if they could pull it off technically um so i mean the technology was there to do it but it hadn't been tested sure. sufficiently before i mean you have like in the independent sector you know especially in america where you know you have productions produced over huge distances and it's off, it's always been that way mm-hmm. um you can listen to you know certain indie productions and you can tell people recording on different kit at different times and it's been just kind of melded in post but um pulling it off to the level they're doing it is it was an experiment and uh i do know unfortunately it's nothing i had to worry about um but it i i do i, I do know it was a technical headache and a bit of a leap of faith for other people mm. And have you been on the directing side of things through the pandemic remotely as well? Or has it mainly been a writing? Uh, I've mainly been writing. I directed an audio book, which is, which is very, very, that's, that's kind of, that's, lo, that's low altitude uh, exercise that is in a directing sense. It's uh, no, so that was a cinch. Now I've, it's not that I've avoided directing work. It's I, but I, I must admit, I'm glad to have not had to do it because it's a whole other set of I, I i mean i'm in my lane at the moment and the idea of having to wrap my my, my brain around another set of challenges I'm, I'm not sure i could how well i could jump tracks <laughs> i'm at the moment i'm very happy writing um and other writers are having a have been having trouble during the pandemic in terms of concentration and that kind yeah. of thing i found i've been the opposite and that even though I, if, if i've been feeling kind of borderline burnt out you know with certain assignments and stuff like that I've still felt actually the actual process of writing is preferable to the coming up for air because that's when, you know, kind of the horror of everything starts to hit me. So, um, although it's been, you know, I've been, I've been very busy and borderline overworked now and then, but you know, when you're freelancer, you can't say no to stuff. So, you know, the only thing that makes me say no to stuff is if I, I know I don't literally don't have the time and therefore the capability um, but it's still been preferable to the opposite, which is being sufficiently not busy to actually stick my head out the window and look at the state of things. And, and, uh, to, and to <laughs> yeah. think. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like it's, it's, it's um, being forced to think about something very specific in front of me. Um, you know, the problem of writing and constructing stories and stuff. Mm. It's been a good place to go. So in terms of my own mental health, it's been, you know, it's been really good um, to be that absorbed but wasn't i then again if i wasn't i wouldn't be earning but i probably i would still be writing uh something just to be in that space mm. fascinating and with just a sort of side thought on that then if you're writing in kind of a science fiction fantasy realm you could so that's quite removed from real life that's great but i wonder how much if any of what has happened in the world over the last couple of years has found its way into that writing are we are we talking are we looking at dystopian futures or not so much well um in terms of writing kind of the stuff that's you know either you know the fantastic or the weird whatever the specific subgenre it's always about the real world it's just dressed up you know, that and that's so um so you never you never escape i i people talk about escapist entertainment but um i really don't think it exists I just it's just your uh your recontextualizing stuff you're t- you're, you're you're um you're you're removing your scenario 
from the the real world than the specific, but for the purposes of talking about it, really. Um, there was another part of that question which I suddenly forgotten. But it was a, yeah, what was it? That was, it was a good question. <laughs> Whether, as you say, say like our lives and our world is going to affect anything that we create, whether we, we like it or not. But how directly has the current situation... Basically, are you writing futuristic stories about pandemics and oh, right. events um, and stuff? Yeah, well, actually, and with I know with, with Big Finish specifically, um, it's been, um, you know, anything that, anything that has um, veered towards um, pandemics and disease and virus and stuff um, has been avoided. So, mm. you know, we've steered away from it. Uh, even down to stuff like um, in one story, I had um, a Corona class starship. I'd wrote it before the pandemic, and that, uh. and that had to, that we had to change the name of the type of spaceship it was. Um, became an Amstel instead. No, that's, that's, it became it became a prominence class starship, that's but nice. it was a, it was it was all sun related. It had nothing to do with the viruses, but um, but yeah. So re- a lot of the time, it's been you know a lot of um, the thinking has been well, we're in a pandemic. We're in it. We don't want to go to it in, in terms of you know fiction. We're in one. Um, it, it, I think the same is in some ways true of uh, you know the political situation we mm. found ourselves in for the last several years. Um, I think you know talking about talking effectively about and we're living in very turbulent times. Talking effectively effectively about these times is a tough proposition because the situation is changing constantly. So I, I do feel again the best way of talking about now is historical analog so if mm. you, you know if, you know I mean, just with something like brexit um uh a story set during the civil war is probably uh the english civil war is a is a is a good analogy of families being torn apart on a single issue if you were if you were really inclined to talk about it but um but fortunately i mean there's a there's a lot more to the human experience than the news uh so a lot of the themes don't go away really um but um i think that really the, the main effect of the pandemic has been on uh production uh more than anything else mm. um but uh in terms of dystopian fiction i part of the, I, I feel part of the problem where uh with uh, that, we, that we've inherited is um we've been having pop dystopian fiction has been popular for so long that rather than acting as a cautionary tale it's acted as an aesthetic and uh, so we've kind of you know we accept it you know as, of course, things were going to end up, turn out terribly because um, we, r- rather than using fiction to present a future we wish to avoid, it's kind of it's, a, it's prepared us for it. You know, you know, it's just been perhaps more of an act of surrender than anything else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's interesting. It's just that idea of um, you know hope as a revolutionary act um, in desperate times. That's that's, a, that's the basics. Which is really fascinating, yeah. and like we're we're talking about big finish, so we're gonna we're gonna end up talking about Doctor Who, obviously. So, um, my my brother wouldn't forgive me if I didn't ask some Doctor Who question. <laughs> I'm a Doctor Who fan. He's a massive Doctor Who fan. Um, <laughs> without this being too much of a wanky question, like, is there a place for fiction actually when we are going through times like this, and we look back to things that perhaps were part of our childhood, whether it's Doctor Who and science fiction, all those classic stories and stuff. Is there something that they've done that has armed us for for current situations, and is that something that you're aware of when you're writing, or or not so much? I think all sort of you know heroic is not is not necessarily the right word, but there are certain types of fictional character who uh, 
exist to kind of give you some kind of framework with yeah. which to you know, which to apply to the real world. Yeah, you know? but then again, you know, some people in management jobs, you know, use the Sopranos as a uh, <laughs> as a manual. You know, so to, to be honest, um, you can take any work of fiction as your personal bible. I mean, people do. Um, I try not to in in life. Um, but um, the thing about Doctor Who is that um, it's such a malleable thing. It can be an, it can be whatever you want it to be. Um, of course, writing for Big Finish and it's a and Doctor Who is a licensed BBC property. Um, there are, there aren't as many things you can do with Doctor Who as you could were it out of copyright, mm. uh, and then then it could become anything. Um, but uh, I suppose you know the general message of Doctor Who is one of hope and uh, and uh, standing up to. Uh, injustice etc um but then again i also on the flip side i kind of feel that for some people you know this is true of all fandoms for some people it kind of um, reaches the point where it it resembles less um a collection of enthusiasts about a particular property and starts to resemble more of a new religious movement and uh and it, or, or something that is um, a particular it might be a source of comfort but it's a very strict source of comfort in that you know the, 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 it's, it's my comfort blanket and the thing I return to because it gives me a certain feeling but nevertheless despite all that I'm still miss, I, you know people, certain people miss the message of Doctor Who um, yes. so, you know, so you can have very you can have very intolerant uh, Doctor Who fans who love the show but frankly don't understand it quite clearly um, which is which is again an interesting thing um, and I guess it's their interpretation of it or it's the things that they love about it so if if something doesn't live up to what they love about it, then it's not real. It's not it's not proper. I guess. Yeah. Well. You, yeah. Yeah. And, you, and like any like any other sort of um, religious movement, you get people talking about true fans and true believers and uh, arguing over doctrine and uh, accusing each other of heresy. It's um it's great. It's it's like the name of the rose or something. We you know, <laughs> <laughs> all these people yeah meet, meeting up to uh, yeah to, to 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 fight it out constantly. Um, Again, which is kind of missing the point of the program. Yeah. Uh, the other thing with that as well, then you're saying there's, there's certain things you can't do with it, but there's obviously so much backstory with that that world. How aware are you and how aware of, do you have to be of all of those things? So if you're talking about a particular character or a particular, particular villain, are you going having to go back and check, well, I can't have them doing this because in 1974 it was said in that one episode that they do this and they do that, or, or is that not that much of a Yeah. It's my favorite stuff to write is where it's um, in terms of knowledge of the show, um, lore aside, what's more important, I think, is just knowledge of how the show works. Because mm-hmm. um, the best thing to do is, you know, is the purest version, which is just the doctor and friend friends turn up somewhere, solve something without any without any kind of without needing the York notes. It's just it, <laughs> it can be this pure story that stands on its own terms. But a lot of Doctor Who is not that. Um, but fortunately, I mean, I, I know a lot of it anyway because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Doctor Who, amongst many other things. It's um, it's it's not my it's not my church. Um, but um, but for everything else, there's the TARDIS wiki page that kind of you know that everything is catalogued there. So uh, when you when you're given the job of um, writing a story that is absolutely continuity dependent, you can go there for to to find out what's what. Um, but for everything else, you can just yell "time war" and, uh, and it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah. Cause, and, uh, and then, but ultimately, you're just bound by whatever is best for your particular story you're telling in that sandbox. Cool. 
And I think you mentioned at the start that you kind of, I don't know quite how you put it, found your way in the world of audio drama. So could you tell us a little bit about how that happened and what you do? doing? Yeah, um, well, I, I did film at university and, it's, and movies are still my thing. But just in terms of uh, writing stuff that could get produced, um, sort of in the mid-noughties, I connected with a brand new little company. It was more of a collective. It wasn't even a company in those days. It was just this collective called Wireless, the Wireless Theatre Company. Mm. Um, it, over time, it formalized and uh, got its act together. But um, I just started making podcast drama with them. Um, and I just found that you know, audio drama has been my path of least resistance. And then Wireless Theatre started uh, producing stuff for Audible. And then what's, what did begin as quite a raggedy bunch of you know, young writers and directors and everything else um, it just started to gradually get a bit more professional and respectable. Um, and then I, then I started to get jobs with other companies. But oh, to be honest, only fairly recently. Hmm. Um, but I've, um, just in terms of the professional side of things, for the last three and a half, going four years, I've been making full-time living doing this. But it's, it's still a relatively new thing for me in terms of career success. Mm-hmm. And by success, I just mean succeeding in it being what i do for a living um but kind of having said that i i have spent the last few years kind of feeling well is this just a, a bell curve and have i yeah, have i have I already left the peak so um but i think that's just being self-employed anyway you know um, uh, yeah you, you, you never you never know where the next thing is coming from um it's just nice going into a new year knowing you've got stuff lined up uh and and you you can't really ask for any more than that but uh but yeah, it's I've, I've I've been very fortunate that um, where I am now does mean that I'm I just yeah I I get to tell a lot of stories, um, yeah, and so I, I'm just hoping it continues uh, yes. for as long as for as long as I can possibly keep going. And that's so interesting to me the the um the wireless theatre company thing you say it's sort of uh, just a bunch of people doing their thing and then it I'm guessing it just sort of fell in with the right time that home produced audio became a thing that was feasible because you the technology was there and you could put it out and people could access it uh, was i guess that wasn't designed it just all kind of the cards fell in that way i suppose a little bit the cards did fall in that way but there was an element of design to it um it was founded by uh mariel Runica temple she um now produces lots of stuff for audible um but she 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 she'd seen a gap She'd mm. seen she'd seen what the technology was available in right, so two thousand and six seven, uh, and she she twigged that no one was doing it. Mm. Um, I think the company's original kind of tagline type thing was drama for the the iPod generation, which completely dates it to <laughs> to that period, but also that specific piece of technology. Yeah. So really, um, the whole current podcast movement is something you can, you can totally trace to the mp3 player yeah it's utterly it's it's uh, it's something and uh, wireless just ha- happened to come along right at the beginning of that uh and i just happened through a friend of a friend happened to be close to it so it was utterly potluck mm-hmm. that uh, that i got involved and, and, that, and that was it yeah and that leading to stuff with other companies, I guess, is that that thing of don't tell people what you can do, show them. So the fact that you had this stuff that you created and worked on with these other people, rather than having to pitch, oh, I could do this, I could do that. It's just, oh, look, it's all here. So if you're 
if you're curious, that's what I've done. That's what I can do. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of um, perhaps the most useful thing in terms of uh, the in terms of, in terms of the that medium is that it's the fastest way in recorded media to generate a body of work quickly. Mm. Um, and because the you know the, the technology is cheap, it's the cheap it's the cheapest form of recorded media. Um, so you can put that you put you can put what money you do have into the cast. So you know um, if you can write well, um, the production challenges you know are comparatively small. The bar you know the the bar you have to jump is low. Um, and if the but but if you can do good work, you can get the greatest actors you know you can you, you can you can find in London. Uh, and uh, if if the work's good and you know and you're a, young company of people who seem competent uh yeah you, you can cast very respectable actors in your work and suddenly that respectability kind of gradually rubs off uh or rather that illusion of respectability can rub off quick um and that's kind of what we did so the company was punching above its weight a little bit i guess then in terms of the people that it was working with at that Oh yes, but you know, but then because you, you start thinking about things just with a producer's head on, and um, you know that they were paying equity, they were paying you know respectable rates. Yes, uh, but but paying actors and the engineer and you know studio hire at the time, it, it still doesn't come up to much. So mm. um, if you, if you, if you, you know if you are if you want to create a body work quickly, it, you know it's it's the easiest one. It's the easiest one of the, the top three to do it in, and a great learning experience, I suppose, as well. Then because you get through a lot of stuff quickly. Yeah, so. yeah, it's a great learning experience, and also your mistakes are inherently not expensive ones. Um, it's so you can kind of it's, it's a place where you can screw up, and you get to do it again. Uh, is the key thing, and you get to, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, and even if something's an abject failure, you know, you just do something else. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, and just keep going, and you know, don't get hooked up on the last thing you did. Just you know, learn from it, go on to the next. Yeah, that's great. That's lovely. And then when you were working then with Audible's and Big Finish and these sorts of companies, is there a notable difference in how those companies are and the experience of you know being in those studios, working with those people, or or not not as much as you might think? No, there isn't. Um, I mean, with with Audible, they essentially outsourced production to Wireless. So it was Wireless bringing their at the time, that you know, their expertise to Audible in because Audible you know, did audio books, but doing an audio drama was kind of you know new to oh, okay. it. So, um, and uh, but yeah, but that's the thing. There, you know, it's once you, in in a recording studio, there's I mean, there's there is a real finite amount of stuff to wrap your head around. Um, mm. Ultimately, you know, the rest is perform you know script and performance. It mm. always comes down to the two things, which are also essentially fit that that's theatre. Everything else is just capture. Um, but it's the script and performance um, guided by the director, um, and that's it. There's, there's, there is so little to it. Um, it doesn't take. You don't have to be a you know a technological genius to uh, to cut, to master the basics comparatively quickly. Hmm. Yeah. And also, there are no early mornings either. That's the other thing. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, no no makeup, and you don't have to be outdoors. And less waiting around, perhaps I suppose, than the filming as well. Less setup and stuff. Um, yeah, it depends on the size of the cast, and uh, if mm. you've got everyone on the same day, and you know, uh, depending on your schedule, you can schedule badly and have some stuff in a green room for far too long. But you know, if the food is good, you know, and the company's good, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Good. And were you a fan of audio drama before becoming involved in it? Funnily enough, I wasn't a huge fan. I, I had a few bits of audio drama I deeply loved, but um, I, I'm a film person, um, and I, I write um, in terms of in terms of film. In terms, uh, I think in the UK, a lot of the story design has it kind of has betrayed kind of the theatrical origins of how we do drama. You know, mm. it's you can't see the preceding march, but it's there. And, you know, you have this, you have this, the space and the characters come in and they interact and it's long form. Um, my, my storytelling technique is, you know, the drama is in the cut, you know, it's a cinematic mm-hmm. approach where scenes are shorter. You, you cut between locations far more. I mean, that's kind of, you know, it's how things are done you know, increasingly, but um, even, you know, sort of, you know, 15 years ago, it was, much more you know, radio drama was far more theatrical um it's like well yeah you know, this is it's in your head guys let's you know let's have some big sets and you know we, we, we can afford to take this outdoors you know and all that stuff um but i try to write with a steady cam in mind rather than uh, a stage so if two characters are you know having a conversation just you know leave the room with them go down the garden oh, path yeah. with them into the car with them etc um and it's sometimes people don't think in those terms but uh but yeah, I, I've, I've just, you know, fil- film is my thing, but um, I, I just discovered that audio drama uh, was just a some, somewhere that I could, I just kept getting asked to do things. Hmm. Great. And you'd mentioned then that you're, you're now working on uh, a screenplay. Um, so your ambition then is to do more in that side of things, the film side of things and the, the visual side? <laughs> Well, it's where it, it's where it kind of started. Um, I, I've got no desire to leave audio drama, but um, I just kind of, it, it depends on the idea. It's just this is an idea that's very much a, it's a feature film biopic. Um, so, some ideas I have are very much no, this is this is prose fiction. Mm. Uh, so really, I, f- th- at this point, it's, it really is down to less where do I want to go and kind of what does the what does the what does the story demand it be. Mm. But um, but in terms of the screenplay, it's um, it's an idea I've had for a, a while. It's something I'm very very keen to uh, complete. But it's but it's also one of those things that's um, I'm I'm writing it kind of very aware that it's kind of a showpiece script that will probably never get made. Um, but it's nevertheless a good calling card. Um, so as a writer, you have to you, you need a couple of good specs in your back pocket. Um, but I've just been very lucky otherwise in that um, everything I write gets made. So, um, but I'm in one of those situations where this is I'm writing it knowing almost certainly it never will, but, you know, and, you know, but screenplays have other uses other than just, uh, um, you know, they're, they're blue, they can be blueprints for things that never actually happen, but uh, they can get you other work too. So it's, 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 it's a funny one in the, just, for, just in, a, in, a, in, a, in an obsessive way. I want to tell this story regardless mm. of what happens to the script after, but there are still professional uses for, you know, for specs, uh, whatever happens. And that's all outside your control. Um, but that's the other thing I like about audio drama is that um, it's so producible um, that when you're working on something, it will almost certainly exist at some point. Mm. That's very interesting. Sort of my experiences with with theatre and and film and visual stuff. Obviously, as you mentioned, that's not necessarily the case because stuff's so expensive to do, isn't it? And even theatre's quite 
quite involved. <laughs> having a space, having several actors, having an audience, all of that stuff takes takes time and it takes money. So that's, it requires an army, yes. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you say audio can literally be a person. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and a yeah exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's um, fortunately I I, you know, I I tend to work in little groups, yeah. but it, it doesn't need to be that many. I mean, well, you can have a one man band type setup. That would be just dreadfully lonely in, in the long term, I think, and not good. Not good. Not everyone's made that way. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm I, I happen to be one of those people. I love human company. I love socializing, but then I need about three or four days to recover from it. So uh, yeah. so actually, actually, the whole kind of cord then depart into post pattern actually it does it does suit my kind of uh ambivert nature <laughs> i guess you call it and that sounds like a fairly good description of a writer as well then like you sort of can be self-contained and write but then you're gonna get other people's ideas and opinions on what you've done and then work with that as work with uh producers or whatever and you have that happy balance i guess when it works yeah like yeah that. and just just the act you know just going out actually having a life and living and seeing people um oh, of course no we're not doing that at the moment um uh, uh, some of us aren't anyway but uh but yeah um it's funny because i've been writing you know i write professionally now and I'm, i need glasses by the way i need to as a that was actually kind of a, a, a non-podcast just reminded to myself to book spec savers but it, 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 it is relevant because um yeah um my my recent good fortune in terms of employment and ongoing kind of commercial success ha is has has actually just i need glasses now because of it um so uh there is, there is a phys there are physical tolls. Well, you mean that, literally all of that work has made your eyesight worse? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've I've had twenty twenty my entire life, except during, except when like GCSE A levels and university exam period, I'd get trouble. Um, but now, yeah, um, write, writing is starting to screw my eyes up very mildly. It's a low prescription, but um, and if I stopped doing what I'm doing for a living, I think my eyesight would correct itself, but I'm not going to be stopping. So, uh, yeah, you know, so yeah. Success doesn't come by itself. Obviously that's the, I know there's always it's, a price to pay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, um, yeah. So my, my last visit to the opticians was ended with, <laughs> and just look at glasses. I'm like, well, no, why would I want to do that? And that was how they told me. And I thought I need, I need some time to recover emotionally from the shock of <laughs> yeah, no longer having 2020 vision, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, all, all this kind of close work and looking at screens has, uh, yeah, I'm paying the price for it. I'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point, but I wondered if I could ask if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast, rating it and writing a review on your favourite podcast provider. Doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people. It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. I've been a lifelong lover of breakfast. It's the best meal of the day. <laughs> However, um, when I'm working on a, on a project, and at the moment, that's all the time, I don't have breakfast. I, I subsist on coffee or other fluids until lunchtime because um, if I eat, then all that, you know, all that blood that was going to my brain, uh, giving it oxygen, is now tasked with digestion and i can't i can't write and digest it turns out so uh wow. i i will have i will have i will eat at lunchtime but i need to I, i'm a morning writer and i i function on an empty stomach and that's just one of those weird practical physical things you when you're doing whatever even something you love full time is the, the weird 
physical conditions that it, um, the demands it makes of you. So, uh, yeah. So n- no breakfast, bad eyesight, lower back trouble. That's kind of all the, all, all the <laughs> equals happiness. All the, all the equal equals contentment. Yes. Equals yeah. work. Yes. <laughs> Which leaves all my questions I often ask people, actually, what is an night? You've told us a bit, I think. What is an ideal writing day, then? What does it look like? What does it involve? And what hours are you keeping on, on when it's working well? Okay, well, it's it's April or May to start with, because, because of course it is. It's, it's, the, it's the best <laughs> time of year. You, you get out of bed, the birds are tweeting, um, the sunlight's streaming in. Everyone's on, on social media now, aren't they? It's yeah, yeah. You <laughs> pop on coffee and... Uh, and you you already know what the you know what the the writing task of the morning is, and your subconscious mind has been on it during your mm-hmm. sleep periods. You don't need to have had uh, eight hours solid, just some good phases of sleep mm-hmm. with our, some you know the much needed REM time, all that stuff. And then you just in the zone from seven thirty eight a.m. eight thirty a.m. whatever. And then it just flows. You're absorbed with it, and then that takes you to lunchtime. Then you go out to this beautiful cafe, which I've just imagined that we can't do now because we're in a pandemic. And you have a lovely br- I'm having a lovely brunch with more coffee and some eggs benedict. And then might do some more writing in the evening if mm. the mood takes me. And that would be a perfect actually, you know, a lot of that my, that perfect day is just post-COVID fantasy of what I would like my <laughs> day to be like. But but that that that's that's nevertheless kind of a kind of the harmonious state of mind. I would wish to be in on a good writing day. Um, it's funny in that description. I haven't checked Twitter once, um, but on, yeah, um, t- Twitter is kind of my. It's not a bane of my existence. It doesn't stop me writing, but it's kind of a, a low level mm. addiction on alongside coffee of mine at the moment. But I think that's because we're still on Plague Island, and I, most of my social life is this is tra- most of my social life is is Twitter mm. basically. Mm. Um, but yeah. And that, yeah, and that's how I function. And then after that, I, then, then I start craving human society. Uh, but the mornings are my own to be in, it's completely uh, involved in whatever it is I'm working on. And you mentioned uh, something there that I thought was really interesting, which was it's on a day when you know what the project is or you know what the what what you need to achieve in that writing session. Is that, I guess, then much easier than the blank page when maybe you're not writing to someone's brief, you're writing your own thing and you just have to come up with stuff. I, I, it's, um, no, I love, I love a blank page. There's nothing I love more than the the thrill of the blank page. So I, I know some writers describe that with terror, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's perfect. It's the best virgin territory to explore. Um, no, I love it. Um, no, it's, it's really just that thing of feeling that, you know, cause a lot of writing doesn't happen at the desk. And it's a lot of mm. writing happens, you know, you know, on a nice drive or in the shower or walking the dog or something. You know. Most of your submit your submerged nine tenths working on the problem elsewhere, but then you come to the desk with your brain, your subconscious mind, mm-hmm. having having essentially solved all the problems for you in a completely effort, seemingly effortless way, and then you're just at the desk, and then it all comes out well um that's 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 the per- that's the dream but um but it's, but it's, it's very true a lot of writing doesn't happen at the desk and uh a lot you know I, lo- I love museum trips i love educational days out basically you know school trips are the best thing ever and, and as an adult i'm no longer in school but it's still i still love school trips yeah yeah I'm... um 
yeah so I'm, I'm happiest learning and it's all everything is material your personal life every terrible thing that's happened to you every stupid thing you've done it's all material um and everything you've learned everywhere you've been um the only thing at the moment is um kind of you know again living with covid like this is just a, a low level worry of well you know my the wells the wells aren't running dry but you know my my entire window on the world is it's largely internet based because my my actual world has shrunk mm-hmm, an awful lot um but um you know but yeah it's again that's just a problem you have to uh work around mm. but uh yeah yeah i really like the idea that the the right a lot of the work goes on not at the desk is it a conscious effort then to create those spaces where you allow those things to come in and interestingly you'd mentioned earlier i think that it's been in the last few years that you have been able to dedicate yourself to this stuff completely i think that's right yes yeah yeah so when you were having to do i guess other stuff as well whilst doing this was it much harder to find those spaces for the for the stuff to come in no um it's just um when you when you're doing other jobs you know working in offices and stuff like that um it just all it means is you're a terrible employee because uh, <laughs> you know because your paid work is secondary to the uh the stuff you're emailing to your home account from your desk <laughs> at work you know so it re- really the difference has been now i'm now i'm writing full-time hmm. um writing full-time on assignment for other people is the day job that i'm having to write my spec script my spec script my spec <laughs> stuff spec stuff around yes um so now when i was working you know uh jobs you know nothing to do with show business whatsoever i was writing out of them and uh it's sometimes i was printing scripts off at work you know and all that all that you know all, all that stuff um so no um, it just means that um no, I was. I've always. I was always writing. It's just that I was. I shouldn't have been. That's that's the difference. Um, it's, it's that thing of smuggling, smuggling bits, scraps of writing, scenes, whatever, home. Mm-hmm. Um, just just like you know, um, Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption, gradually digging that tunnel. You know, <laughs> one one trouser leg of the, at a time. You know, and it's and so really, it was just that. You know? yeah. So um, my output has increased. But um, yeah, and my and uh, my list of credits is very quickly swelling. But um, no, I you just find a way to work wherever. Um, but yeah, you know, then again, I don't commute anymore. So some, but sometimes I will have to go for a drive because mm. I know that that the ideas come back. You know, when I was you know, working a day job of one kind or another. You know, the commute is often the times. You know, even you know, traveling on the train, wherever. The, you know, being in transit is yeah. a wonderful space. You know, being between places. Uh, weirdly for me, um, the ideas come, and you know, thanks to just thanks to the, the smartphone. Um, you know, just writing writing stuff down on notepad very really quickly, and then you know, ultimately, those bullet point lists of ideas and stuff they get longer and they start to coalesce into something. Uh, mm. But yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. I'm now that I'm working full time as a writer, I'm having to create the situations that occurred naturally whilst doing other jobs where the ideas would come. And yeah. that's a funny that's yeah. a funny thing to do. 
And then I, I think that was interesting about how you mentioned that you you found that you need to have not eaten breakfast or whatever to be your most creative, and that just comes through experience, doesn't it? So, if you know what things you need to do to be open to the muse, that's really handy. And perhaps all those years writing in offices were worthwhile, if not just yeah, for the yeah, fact yeah. that you know well, what you need. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we're all, you know. We all think we could, could be and should be doing better than we are, and you know. Mm. But I, the older I get, I, t- I turned forty-two earlier this week. Um, I, th- I think I've reached a point in my life where I'm fairly damn on top of all the negative voices that um, used to really um, be the bane of my life. You know, you know. Now, mm. at, you know, three three a.m. when those voices attempt to uh, to berate me. Um, yeah, they're the one. They're the they, 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 now they're, they're afraid of me now because <laughs> I, I, I I learned how to deal with them. But um, but yes, it's uh, but they're still it, there. Sorry, just to interrupt you, they're still there. Interestingly, they're still making. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's just they how are, you react yeah. to them that's changed. Yeah, but um, the the the, uh, the news is they're there for everyone, and you start to realise you haven't been singled out as special to. <laughs> To have all these things, and uh, that's the point where you just realise, well, no, this is a phenomenon. It, therefore, what's that phenomenon about? Mm. Um, I really think it's just getting over yourself and realising mm. that all these things you use to torture yourself are fairly universal. And to be honest, I'm not sure I'd trust someone who wasn't troubled that way. Funnily enough, <laughs> but, uh, but then again, the other thing is, all the, all these things are useful. In drama, you know, if you, you know if any things that torture you, give them, you know, give the give the problems to the character, mm. then suddenly, suddenly you've got someone who's has similar lived experience to you. You know, so if you regret your past decisions or your your lack of success or you know, whatever, you know, it's that that sense of I took a slightly wrong path in life, or I took a wrong turn at nineteen or something. Those are universal human experiences that are not unique to you. And if you put them into your work, the wonderful thing that happens is your reader, listener, your audience member will witness that, associate it, recognize it, and suddenly you have a human connection between creator and audience. And that can be between someone who wrote a book 200 years ago mm. and someone who's not really born for another 200 years. Yeah, that's and that's right. the point. That's the point of this is that um, all, all these things which um, all these negative life experiences and uh, and negative self-belief and affirmation, the affirmations you, you know, you find you know, in your younger years, especially, I think, um, they're not unique to you, um, but they're, but they're useful because they can be they can be put to use, they, and, and and expressing them and talking about them is uh, is is something that um, yeah, it's it's tre- in a way, it, there comes a point when you realise it's treasure. Um, that it's material that you can use and a material is uh, what writers need to work on Mm. fascinating that's great and nothing's wasted as well I suppose from it's been interesting in the pandemic for me I suppose two years out from doing some of the stuff I was doing like going out and playing lots of gigs being in theatre productions and stuff none of that's been able to happen and all the things that used to um, stress me about that if you host a gig it's a lot like hosting a party so if if not that not as many people turn up, which of course never happened to me, but on the odd occasion, as you were expecting, <laughs> then it's like you feel like everyone's looking at you and you've hosted a shit party. 
Whereas now, not being oh, able to God, host, yeah. not being able to host shit parties for tears, it's like, oh, just you know, just the fact anybody came was so wonderful, you know, just to have that perspective from it. Um, and that's what it is, as you mentioned, age, but it's perspective sometimes, isn't it? And having those things to look back on. And I, I'd like to think that nothing is really wasted. So all these experiences that didn't work, all those first dates when you were, uh, you know said the wrong thing or whatever all that stuff was awful at the time again this never happened to me of course but but as you look back on it there's stuff in there that could be quite useful for the stuff you do later i agree entirely nothing is wasted any anything you wrote that didn't work mm. it's never wasted you can't you know bowie cannibalized songs that didn't work you know it's it's a really it's a really great technique life experience bad decisions are to waste they are again they, they're useful you know you can use them um it's a it's, it's um it's just the, i think the trick is get out of the mindset where you just i'm choose why am i torturing myself when yeah. i can just when i can actually <laughs> i can put this i can put this to commercial use instead but uh, yeah but i can torture an audience the very fact nothing is wasted yes <laughs> but that's the thing it's um Nothing is wasted. Um, I keep I've said this, I've said that too many times now, but it's I it chimed with me so much it was worth the repetition, Robert. So yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. You know, yeah. don't waste every opportunity to say it as well. That's really good. I, I, I have to ask about this thing, we'll go back to Doctor Who again, but the other things that you've worked on as well. The idea that you get to work with some of these people, or that you know, Tom Baker says words that you've written for Tom Baker. You, you have done a Tom Baker story or not? I've I've written a few for him. Okay, yes. so yeah, so that yeah. idea that something you've and if you were a fan as a as a younger person, all that sort of stuff, the idea that you would write something that then Doctor Who says, you know, like that's what is that situation like for the first time, and is it still an interesting one as it goes on? It will never get old. It will <laughs> never get old. Um, yeah, and having having any actor take a character that you've written and bring it to life is inherently magical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something I, I experienced from the beginning. Um, I you know, wrote to Baddie and uh, Julian Glover played them. Oh, you know, cool. uh, and uh, yeah, having you know, writing stuff for the Fourth Doctor, and then Tom actual Baker actually does it. It's 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 fantastic. Um, it's 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 utterly delightful, and it's it's funny. I'm I still feel like I'm early stage in my career because essentially I you know you know. I had a quiet decade um, while back, um, but uh, so it's it all. It all still has this really new sheen. Like I'm just lucky to be here to yeah. it. Um, I'm actually hoping. I, it, to be honest, I feel that will probably never go away because um, I feel like I've I've had enough experience of not getting to do this for a living. Mm. That um, my gratitude for now being able to do it is that great. Mm. Um, that's cool. And yeah. that, that idea of being, uh, I've struggled with, I think, a little bit, of being early career. It's sometimes the opposite, I think, isn't it, where you feel like, I've been doing this for so long, I'm not quite where I want to be or whatever. But, of course, the idea of being early career is lovely because you're always a student and you're still learning. And I think that's generally a much better approach to life in general, really. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my approach is to always be a student. Um, the funny thing is it's that... Um, I suppose a dangerous flip side that potentially is uh, I'm not guilty of it. Like I sometimes think I might be perceived of being guilty of it, which is not having a, a, a conviction in my own judgment, which I uh. absolutely do. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, but um, because I position myself as someone who is just constantly learning, 
Um, I, I am aware it can get perceived by less generous people as me not uh, not not um, not 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 behaving not behaving like a professional, um, not uh, not recognizing my own position as someone who actually has the, you know has reached a, a point you know in terms of competency and, and seniority in terms of a certain mm. level of production um but i'm just you know i'm just i just feel constantly wide-eyed about the whole thing like you know mm. it's all brand new and could be just taken away any second so uh yeah yeah so it's it's a positive thing but um yeah less generous people can see it as um something to be overcome when actually i think it's no 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 this is this is my setting this is how i actually wish to approach things because everything's far more interesting mm. this way you know it's, I haven't been there and done it all. It's it, most of it feels like it's still to be done, um, which has got to be a much more yeah. interesting way than than feeling like you've already done it all. Like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it's also boring. based on the presupposition that I'll continue to get to do stuff. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, to be honest, though, um, you know, a, um, a profession, a life in the arts is one, uh, and. I think it's, it's worse for actors simply because of the nature of their type, their profession. It's all the stuff writers go through, but it's just accelerated. It happens more often, you know, mm. they're on projects for less time, etc. But um, there's so much uncertainty that um, one of the things you have to do at the same time as worrying about your career and focusing on natural craft and all the rest of it, you have your own internal landscape, your own personal mental terrain. You have to master as well as, and it's just no, it's a, it's a lot. It can be a lot. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm managing fine. Um, but I, I, I'm also aware that, you know, I have friends who on occasion haven't and aren't. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is a, it's a, it's a tough thing to do because you have to kind of be open and vulnerable mm. and, uh, be that eternal student. And at the same time, you've got to, you know, make sure make sure you're being resilient and looking after yourself yeah and it's all of these freelance careers but i think particularly in, in arts and and making new stuff writing stuff you've you've got to have that belief in what you're doing so as well as being a, a newbie and a student and stuff you've got to have a belief in what you're doing is worth someone paying attention to and, and making it which is a weird it's a weird juxtaposition isn't it i want to learn but i want to want to give you what i've got kind of thing yeah and things it's both at once because the flip side to everything i've just said is on the other hand i know exactly what works and what i want when i'm mm. directing i and it's when you're writing stuff for other people then the relationship is different it's not I'm a, I'm a skilled professional and my assignment here is to deliver what you want um sometimes what they want is just you know do your thing um but yeah, I'm 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 absolutely sure now of uh, my work, and I'm absolutely confident in the even when you're not confident in yourself. And I'll say I, I went to the person when I'm not confident in myself, which is fairly rare to be honest these days. Um, I've I've never got anything less than a hundred percent confidence in the craft mm-hmm. um, and the process. So I, as long as you, if you if you're confident in the process you, and and, th- and that side of it, then everything else is just ego. I mm. find um, 
but yeah, I know I know how to do good work. Um, so it's, it's and it's not down to me. It's down to the fact you know I've got the skill set. I know how things work. I know the you know the, I know the tools at my disposal. It will turn out okay, even if I'm having a a, a cow about it. The actual work itself won't suffer because I know how to do it. Mm. Um, so it, it's a funny thing. You, you, you're, you know, at, at any one time you're utterly steely in your self-belief and your belief in how things must be done and what works and what doesn't at, at the same time as being um, vulnerable, delicate, and uh, insecure. Um, yeah, it's a slightly, <laughs> not to, I don't want to, use the word really but it's it's, all, it's almost a schizophrenic kind of thing because you have you end up being in two states at once mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a sort of dance between those two partners that you're not really in control of either maybe i don't know yeah yeah it's, it's, an, it's an endless negotiation between the two i think and then taking that again then to, to sort of the other side when things are done what's your relationship like with uh with criticism and, and reviews and other people's opinions on what you've done and, and has that changed over time? So, well, okay. Um, there, I, there are two prongs that read. There's criticism, which is interesting, and people who write criticism, uh, that could be just interesting stuff. It can hurt, it can smart, um, but then there are reviews. And mm. reviews, are, reviews either help – I'm sorry to you any reviewers out there, but reviews either help you shift units or they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a good review will, you know, that's something to give a retweet or, you know, post a quote or something. But a bad review is of no use to you. So why pay attention? Mm-hmm. Um, criticism can be more, is more interesting because it's, it's actually, you know, it's an criticism proper criticism is an, is an exploration of the work. But again, it's interesting. Again, it's not, it's of no use to you on the next thing because every single thing you ever write is the new first thing you've ever written. Um, beyond experience yes you have, might have the craft and stuff but um, criticism isn't criticism criticism isn't written for the writer's benefit you know so um, but in terms of protecting yourself from just online trolls and stuff that's you know that's kind of perhaps more relevant uh, to survival uh, as a professional in the creative arts is just don't read the comments um, it can be tempting to go in search of compliments online, mm. um, uh, but it's all ultimately noise. It's either noise that makes you feel good temporarily and gives you some dopamine, or it's noise that um, gives you a terrible case of the mean reds and uh, a whole lot of adrenaline and cortisol you didn't want in your system. So, uh, yeah, so really, um, I suppose the best thing is fire and forget. Right, make something. Hopefully, you'll succeed in the end product being either what you wanted to achieve, or somehow accidentally better than what you wanted to achieve anyway. So, forget the original intention. This turned out better. Fine. Once you're done, just move on onto the next thing. And uh, if it's if it's the way you're made, it's the way I'm made. The best bit is just absorbing yourself in the current work in progress. That's the be- that's the that's the nice place to be. Um, as long as the deadline isn't insanely difficult, which, uh, <laughs> then it just becomes a tunnel. But fortunately, you know, there's light at the end because all, all work ends eventually. Everything, everything is finite. Um, 
So that's the other thing to remember. And that's where your process comes in as well, I guess. Like you just know where you need to. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's that's the good thing about um, once you've done written a lot of stuff is you just you 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 can rely on the process. It exists. It's a it's kind of like it's a it's a set it's a Swiss Army knife of different approaches and frameworks and stuff that um, you've developed and kind of they're there that the tools are there that you yeah. can apply and you know they work from past experience rather rather than just having faith they work from you've just taught you just you've just learned them um it's yeah so the more experience you have writing the more confidence you have in the process and how you feel about yourself in terms of confidence becomes irrelevant mm. and uh, and once you reach the point where you can you can tell your non-confident voice it's wonderful that you're there, but you don't actually matter because I, I know this is bullshit. Um, that helps. That helps. Uh, and it's and that can be the difference between uh, functioning and being essentially content and uh, having a, just a miserable time. Tra- turning what's turning doing something you love into a terrible form of self-flagellation. And I know which I'd rather experience have you experienced both then have you been in that on the other side of it sometimes um but not not a huge amount um it's more it's i'm I'm more aware of that from other writers uh reporting i get moments of i don't know how i'm ever going to do this but Mm. i I do know those paths and then it's not a useful place to be and what that really means is go and eat something or, you know, just have the day off yeah, or yeah. whatever, you know, have a, have a run around the block because whatever mindset you're in now is not conducive to actually producing anything. So mm. don't even try. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's, ex- it's all just experience, isn't it? And learning the craft, but learning yourself, I think is the, the sort of thrust of what you said. I, yeah, ab- that's absolutely it. It's um, if you, well, it, it, as long as you can, stick around you know you'll live long enough to have worked out your own personal manual of uh, of how you work and also what the what the particular glitches with your model are and then how to deal with them uh hmm. so i think i've sort of successfully jerry-rigged a bunch of um uh responses to any of my less uh useful um impulses and uh voices and uh uh internal affirmations and stuff or whatever you know uh because they just or at the end of the day they just get in the way of business um mm. great and that's that's really it you know uh okay after it's yeah after after that it's kind of like um it's just like in, a, in an 80s cop show you know once once the guys you know conquered his own inner demons and the drug dealers there's no problem you know but if you can if you can you know if you can surmount yourself, then the actual writing process, and actually the job of making things, is you know, that's just an external struggle. But if you do want to keep up with me, I mean, as, as I said, you will you will most often find me on Twitter um, at Mr. Rob Valentine. Um, I really shouldn't be on there as much as I am, but I am. And um, my website is robertvalentine.net. Um, if you want to um, get in contact um, for anything, just yeah. Find me there and uh, send me a message. And that's about it. Great. Thank you so much, Rob, for taking the time to chat to me. That's been really fascinating.
Oh, thank you very, very much for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast. Until then, please subscribe, rate and review and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects I'm working on. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.